Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. My guest today is Rabbi Michael Katz, and our topic is Life Seasons. Do you know, Rabbi Katz, that the last time you and I were together here was in 2016? I cannot believe that. Uh. Wow, wow, wow. So, time so really, welcome. Well, so obviously we were having fun. Don't they say time flies when you're having fun? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and then they also say that time only goes in a single direction, forwards, never backwards. And Frankl said the meaning of human existence is actually found in its irreversible quality. That is amazing. Um, yes, you know, I think that um, everybody remarks about the fact that time seems to be speeding up. It is, by the way, one of the predictions of the Messianic era that uh, just before Mashiach comes that time will speed up. Now, the idea of it speeding up is obviously not that it's speeding up. It's just that there is so much more to do and so many different things and so many more distractions. If you think about it, it used to be old people who complained that uh, time was moving fast. Talk to a kid today. And they say, wow, they don't know where the time is going. So we really are living in a very, very sp- speeded up in, uh, environment, environment and time. That's, yeah. that's fascinating, <laughs> really. Uh, you know, the, the last time we spoke about suffering, pain, and the different kinds of loss, and after that a lot of questions came through, which I sent you. We were supposed to have met last year, but somehow, as you say, the years went away with us. And um, Kohelet or Ecclesiastes uh, said, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the sun, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to sow, and uh, also a time for silence and a time uh, to speak. Absolutely. And uh, if you think about it, there, you know, what really is time? Um, Hashem in creating the world... Is that not the very first thing that he created, the concept of time, morning and evening, or evening and morning, the first day? The idea of having times and time frames, um, very, very, very important. And it is, therefore, if you talk about finding human and finding your Jewish human, we're talking about this um, ebb and flow and then also the periods of time. Um, Very, very important in Judaism, a week, Shabbat. Uh, the Chagim, the festivals coming up in certain times and um, the mindset that we're supposed to have before that and after that and during that and so on. Not only is time of the essence, but time is really is, is really everything. So, yes, there is a time to be uh, happy and there's a time to be sad. There's a time to move forward. There's a time to recede and so on. This is really part of the cycle of life. Everything works that way. Um, so it's a fascination um, that we probably all have and we should have with time. Um, and it is when a, I've heard people say, you know, that was the longest hour that I spent. And then to somebody <laughs> else, it may seem like the shortest hour. Um, it is very often relative. Um, we look at time differently and it depends on how occupied your mind is and how occupied you are with something. Time does fly when you're having fun. Um, it really does. Um, when things are, are difficult and laborious and so on. Time seems to go on forever. So it is uh, It is absolutely amazing, but it is essential to everything that we think about in Judaism. So there's a huge responsibility to how we actually live the time that we do have. Absolutely. Um, time is this precious gift. Um, none of us know how long we have or how much longer we will have. Um, and um, it is absolutely essential that we literally make not only every minute count, but every second count. And it's valuable, and we dare not waste it. So true. It's a transitory nature of life. And I would really like to, actually both Rabbi and I would really like to know um, what your idea is about this transitory nature of life, the changing seasons of our lives. You can SMS us on 34519. Or you can WhatsApp us on zero six one eight nine five one zero one nine.
Rabbi, how do we prepare for death by living? It's a fascinating question because, as everybody always says and as we always think about, death is the one absolute certainty in life. Um, We know, well, up until Mashiach comes, I guess, we know that we're going to die. We know that death is certain. There isn't a probably a person in the world who hasn't in one way or another experienced death, the death of a loved one, somebody close to you. Um, Unfortunately, death is uh, today kind of being popularized. If we think about television and movies and so on, people are dying all the time and we see it and it is very much part of part of life. So to live is to die. Well, um, I'm not sure in what context that would be well, absolutely once true. Once you're born, you yes, know that yes, you. Yes, well, we know no that we, day goes we know that we're going to die, but repeats. But but we're placed on Earth with a job to do. Um, we're given a mandate to come onto this Earth, to live in our physical bodies, and to make sure that not a minute of our lives is or are wasted. We've got to make sure that we. Um, utilize every minute to the full for good things and um, that the space between birth and death, however long God deems that to be, we need to make sure that it is properly, carefully utilized and that we cram it full of um, all the good things that um, he calls upon us to do. And therefore, we're not uh, you know, we don't want to go down the notion of the fact that we are preparing for death. We're not really preparing for death. We are commanded and told to live our lives to the fullest. And it's not necessarily always, well, if we've lived a good life, therefore we're going to be taken care of there. This is not a preparation for that. Or, you know, people often say, you know, um, thank God for that person. Now they're in a better place. We don't know that it's a better place. We're not talking about death as being a better place. What we what we do know is that we have life, and life is essential, and life is um, the be-all and end-all, really, of uh, what the Torah was given to us and what Judaism is about on earth. We're not living preparing for the next world. We're living to make sure that our job here is done and fulfilled. When we need to depart and our souls go to that next world, well, we hope that we've lived a life that's been meaningful enough that we go there with, uh, with good recommendations, good baggage, good, um, uh, good results, and that um, we can not eulogize, but we can safely say that this soul did everything that was expected of it or lived up to the expectation that God had for it while it was here on earth. You know, my mom, who was a devout Christian, um, actually I found this in her papers the other day. It says, I shall serve in whatever way it pleases God. Well, that is very, listen, while, 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 while that may be a, a, a dictum of Christianity, um, it is certainly um, what Judaism is about. Mm. We are here as avadim. We're here as servants to God. You know, we often miss the point, having just come out of Pesach and Shavuot and so on, we often miss the point of um, the uh, redemption from Egypt was not that we should be free in the sense of, well, now we can run around and do whatever we want. We were redeemed from Egypt. God, Moshe keeps on reminding Pharaoh. God says, let my people go. So that they may serve me. Mm-hmm. Um, our redemption was that we could find the ultimate freedom, which is the service of God. Which is the responsibility of our lives. Absolutely. And therefore we are, we're all bound by that. It's the very reason that God put each and every one of us here on earth. What about um, the loss of self? You know, we talk about uh, dying physically, but what about the loss of self as in a depression? You know, when when you actually do feel that you are dead. Because oh, wow. Well, that's, a, that's, a, that's an amazing thing uh, to think about. The, the, the fact is that... Um, what does the Torah say? Well, I, th- I think that we've got to divide it up into two parts. Because um, I guess... And 
I am not an expert on depression. Um, uh, not a psychiatrist, not a psychologist. It's um, just from what we think that the Torah kind of would uh, direct us in. And that is that there are some depressions that are purely chemical, medical, and so on. And when they are that way, um, there is not much that we can do about them from a more spiritual point of view. When we think about um, except that, yes, you've got to listen to the doctors and you need to do what you have to do. As Jews, we believe that medical science is there to help us, etc., not to fight against us. When we come to some depressions are, in a way, self-inflicted. We're going to go back to and, that in and, a minute. And that's where we really need to Jesus. focus on. Focus yeah. on, okay. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson. My guest today is Rabbi Michael Katz, and our topic is life seasons. Please SMS us on 34519 or WhatsApp us on 0618951019. Rabbi, we were talking about depression, the loss of self, and... Um, we we broke just then, but tell me what the Torah actually says about well, depression. I think that um, I think that what we're what we need to subscribe to, and just just remember, I mean, I'm not going to quote you here chapter and verse and say, you know, you can go back and look over here. This is where it talks about depression, but just the general gleaning of what Judaism wants from a person. One of the main fundamental principles of Judaism, and we say it each and every day. Is ivdu et Hashem besimcha, serve God with joy. What does that mean? It doesn't necessarily mean that you've got to be jumping on the table and uh, smiling and saying lachayim. Sometimes it's not that easy. But serving God with joy has to be a main principle that we keep on coming back to. When, when we think about, you talk about life seasons or the seasons of Judaism, there are times when um, we are instructed to be a little bit less joyous. In fact, it doesn't say when it comes to like the three weeks or uh, time of mourning uh, for the Batei Migdash, for the temples. It doesn't say be sad. It says, Mama Timbasimcha, diminish in your joy. When it comes to the joyous per- periods of time, month of Adar and so on, it says, um, it says um, that we have to be more joyous. It doesn't say um, that we have to only be joyous at that time. It says, be more joyous. In other words, joy, simcha, happiness, a happy frame of mind, a positive dispensation, a positive outlook, that's got to govern us at all times. At times it's recognized that, yes, you're going to go through a difficulty. It's understood. You're going to drop a little bit below the line of simcha. But simcha, joy, needs to be your common thread that we have at all times. At times we're going to be in an elevated state of simcha. At times we're going to be in a diminished state of simcha. When we cannot have that joy, when we cannot have that simcha, we are in a way um, undergoing a type of a, let's put it in inverted commas, a Jewish death. Mm. Um, because we are there taking away our positive outlook, our positivity, our happiness at being alive a recognition of our purpose and so on, and we feel crippled. Well, when I cannot do a mitzvah, I am um, I'm, I'm removed from the very, very substance of life. And therefore, depression is something that we've got to make sure that we work our way out of. Whether it's um, through medically or... Whichever way we possibly way? can. Mm. We need to generate that upliftment and so on. And I know that there may be people out there who say, well, you know, easy to say, um, you don't know what it's like. And when you're in a depression, um, you can't just lift yourself out mm. of there. Well, then you need the help of others. Mm. This is why we live in communities. This is why you have medical help. This is why you have psychiatrists and psychologists and so on. We need to find the mechanisms to pick ourselves up and to move forward. We cannot allow... Life to depress us. We cannot allow ourselves to be depressed because in that frame of mind we cannot be those servants of God that we spoke about before. And in that frame of mind also all your creativity goes. So the divine gifts that Hashem has given you are also totally suppressed when you, when you are in that mini death of, of depression. Absolutely. Yes. Um, I guess though there may have been some people who've composed 
um, depressing music at a time of depression or they've done uh, depressing art at a time of depression. And uh, we may say, well, look, we wouldn't have had this uh, magnificent um, million-dollar painting had it not been for that person's depression because they painted a dark world and so on. I think that um, we therefore have to understand or think about the fact that, yes, depression is a season of the soul and it's a season of life, but it's one that we've got to actually move away from. We've mm. got we we can't use it. We should not be using depression as an excuse, and we should not allow it to kill off any of our talents, abilities, um, relationships, etc. Once again, easy to say, but just as long as we have within our mindset this idea of um, – we could say the same thing. You know, being ill is wrong. Uh, when you're ill, you're debilitated as well. But we're not allowed to wallow in the illness. We've got to try and pick ourselves up and move forward. Mm-hmm. We've got to try and get the medical care to uh, to fix and to help. Mm-hmm. Um, taking ourselves out of this world is not an option. Um, so even in dying – um, we we have to live until we die. You know, I was called in to see a, a patient many years ago, and his wife said to me he was in a terrible depression. He he was terminally ill, and he had been told that he had a very short time left to live. And By which profits? <laughs> yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Anyway, so I went in to see him, and as I went in to see him, he said, oh, so you're the angel of death. And I just packed up laughing. I mean, I hadn't been called that in my life before. And he started to laugh as well. He was a, a he had a, a British upper, stiff upper lip and I'm used to that, you know, in my own fam, family of origin. Anyway, so, um, he started to laugh as well. The two of us had such a laugh and I said, well, I sincerely hope not. He said, well, at least the angel can laugh. And then at another time, um, he was telling me a story and his eyes filled with tears and he said, I suppose you've changed your ideas about me now. So I said, no, my ideas are actually reinforced. He said, what, what are, what's, what is it? I said that you're human. You're one of us. Thank God. Absolutely. And, um, you know, for him, it was such a relief. He was actually able to express his tears. And and the laughter was was a gift as well to both of us, you know, that we were able to laugh in in that. It certainly angel of is, death. you know, the 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 um, concept of confronting the angel of death or of um, being close to death. If we take a look at the way that our forefathers, that our sages faced it, um, it was always with a positive attitude. There wasn't the despair. There were some who say, kind of indicated, you know. If I only have a short while left, um, I really need to do a lot more. Um, I've got to up the ante now, you know, becoming 80 or 90 or 100 years old or whatever. I know that my uh, my time is running out. I've got to do more. I've, You know, I, I don't want to go to sleep because um, I'll be wasting the time that I have left kind of attitude. And then there are others who have said, you know, like, we've got to remember that the, the soul lives on. Um, what you're going to experience as the ones who remain behind is the separation, is the all of those anxieties and the fact that physically I won't be here anymore. But um, as uh, we taught with uh, Lagba Omer and uh, uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his attitude was um, uh, remember that at the moment of my passing, he taught his students, I am, it's a sign from above that I've fulfilled my mission on earth and therefore each and every yard site, every anniversary of my passing, which was like Baomer, I am being elevated and therefore celebrate that elevation. Um, instead of only looking at the loss that you feel that you've experienced as those who are left behind, think about the elevation of the soul that each and every your site and each and every um, time of good things, since maybe one of the reasons why we say Yiskor on the Chagim, on the festivals, is that at that time the souls are experiencing those festivals as well, and they're elevated. There's an elevation that we cannot fathom and we cannot see, but it's certainly there according to Torah, according to Judaism, and we need to subscribe to that as well. So therefore, at the time when a person is coming towards the end of their lives, from a Jewish point of view, they're closer to God. The soul 
is closer to Hashem. I have no doubt that the soul feels closer to Hashem. And therefore, it is positive in a way, not all negative. It's hard to say because people usually look at it as being, wow, terrible, tragic, harsh, difficult, and so on, all the other adjectives that uh, that everybody might have. It's dark. It's, 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 it's awful. There is something very spiritual about it, and there's something very pure about it, and there's something very positive about it that we need to try and think about and therefore hopefully get our spirituality to subscribe to. That's actually lovely. And, you know, I, I read um, as it gives a lot of hope for 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 all of us who, you know, who, who know or have lost people. Um I read a story the other day about a hospital where someone was walking in and it was quite a grim hospital and suddenly Brahms, uh, I think it's Brahms, um, a music lullaby came over and everyone sort of, there were people walking down, the, there was staff and whatever, all looking quite somber and suddenly this music came over the entire um, speaker system of the hospital and the, the whole mood changed and the person walking in said, you know, why are they playing that? And they said, because a soul has just been born, a baby has just been born. Now, I couldn't help thinking how magnificent to welcome this baby's soul in. Couldn't we also have a beautiful melody as a soul left? Okay, listen, I don't know what else Brahms uh, composed. My, my knowledge of music is not, uh, not that. Uh, I'm wonderful, hoping it was Brahms. <laughs> okay, the, um, composed lullaby. If you, if you think about it, a lullaby is about going to sleep. Um, it's, um, rather than waking up. But, you know, maybe, maybe just to use your analogy for a moment and extend it a bit. Um, how many people do you know of who um, are sad when a soul comes into this world? The soul has transitioned from the other world, let's call it, uh, the world before, and it's transitioned into this world. There is a beautiful song, I'm sure you've come across it, um, and our listeners have as well. Um, there is the song... That um, was sung, made famous many years ago by Mordechai ben David, I think, where he talks about the neshamala, the soul coming into the world and being sent here. Now, mm. we've got to know that from a Torah p- perspective, the soul does not want to come into this world. The soul is sent into this world against its will. We make that clear in the Pirkei Avot and the ethics of our fathers that we that we study where we talk about that you come into this world, you live against your will. So the soul is picked and it's told, you're going to go into this world. And the soul looks at God and says, what, what do you expect for, what do you want from me? I'm so happy here in heaven. Why are you taking me and putting me into a world of, um, of, uh, um, of temptation and a world of crime and a world of anger and a world of arrogance and a world of pride and a word, world of jealousy and a world of internet? What are you putting me into, what are you putting <laughs> me into that world for where I'm going to be bamboozled and I'm going to be taken off the track and I'm not going to be kept pure and, and so on? And God says, no, that's your mission. You have to go there because there's a job for you to do. You've got to make people happy and you've got to f- fix things and you've got to rectify and you've got to join with me in making this a better world. That's what your job is now. Off you go, and against its will, the soul is sent into this world. Then it says, then it comes to the time of recall. It comes to the time when the soul has completed its mission, and the soul is called back. And Hashem says, I need you back here in heaven. It's actually what the soul wanted to start off with, but the soul is called back to heaven. At the time when the soul transitions into this world, there's tears of joy. Of happiness. Everybody is so happy. The only one who cries is the baby. So and true. <laughs> and why? Because it doesn't really want to be here. It's feeling cold and, uh, and, uh, unused to this big wide world. It was so comfortable inside the womb. It had everything. It had food on call. It had warmth. It had comfort. It had protection. It had everything. It had nurture and nourishment and so on. All of a sudden, it's thrust into this cold, harsh, difficult world. It doesn't want to be here. It's crying. We cry tears of joys because we're so happy that the soul is here and has joined us. Fantastic. And obviously fantastic. We're celebrating the life. When a, the soul transitions to the next world, naturally we cry. We cry, but we're crying for our loss. We're crying for the loss that we feel. And yes, we have to cry because without that, we wouldn't be human. Mm. We wouldn't be um, a, a decent people. Um, and of course, 
Um, my father meant a lot to me. My mother meant a lot to me. Um, these people were close to me, and I'm crying not for them. I'm crying about the loss of them. But there is something of celebration. The soul has completed its mission. Look at the legacy that it left. Look at the things that it accomplished. Look at what it took with it and look at what it can accomplish now as the soul is returned to the place that it originally wanted to be. Um, so what about a young death? How would you, how would you define that? Well, not define, but you know, perhaps an older death. Is, is easier to accept and to, to almost celebrate, you know, that they've had a complete life and, and it's time for them to go. But so a look, younger death. Let, let's, let, let me just say this thinking about it personally. Um, mm. I recently went through the passing of my, of my mom. Um, she was 91. Um, years ago, nearly 30 years ago, I went through the passing of my dad, who was 64 years old. Um, at the, and he passed away suddenly. She got older, et cetera, et cetera. Thinking about it, the sense of loss that I felt and that you feel now is um, maybe even greater for the one who lived longer. Now, that sounds to be um, strange and uh, maybe even ridiculous because to some it's so obvious. To some it's not so obvious. The jarring death of somebody who passes away young is something that leaves us dumbfounded. And, yes, we call it a tragedy. The um, um, death of an older person is a loss that, to me certainly, um, and my father passed away very suddenly. But it wasn't. It wasn't. It, it wasn't. It, it was. It, he got ill. But it. But the 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 sense of loss is the same. Um, it was the same because they were my parents. It was the same because they meant so much to me, both of them. And the fact that the one was quick and without explanation and the other one seemed to have had all the logic in the world didn't make it easier, didn't make it any easier. Mm. Um, now, the fact of the matter is that from a Jewish point of view, we believe that different people live different lengths of time because they have a particular mission to fulfill. And that mission might have been accomplished by us who are um, listening to this or involved in this might have been accomplished years ago. But God meets out the amount of time that each soul will be on this earth. God decides who will live and who will die. God decides what time frame each one will uh, will have. And um, this is part of our emuna. This is part of our faith and understanding and um, enjoyment of every moment and understanding that every moment is precious because we really don't know. And God decides that somebody needs to leave this world at a certain time, in a certain way. We have no clue, really, what that is all about. Mm -hmm. We have no clue, really, why. We can only surmise. We can only think. And some of our sages have ventured to telling us that this particular soul had one particular thing that it had to fulfill, that it, it had to accomplish. And for some, it's instantaneous from the moment they arrive on earth. Mm -hmm. And for some, it takes a lot longer. And for some... It is long life, but that doesn't mean that God forbid you're cursed if you die young or that you're cursed if you live long because, you know, we might say, hey, one second, God's sitting there and says, listen, I sent you to earth to do a simple job. It's taken you 90 years to do. What's the matter with you? You know, why couldn't you just do it um, all those years ago? No, that's not the way that we look at it. God says, listen, this soul is going to live for this period of time to accomplish its project its um, and fulfill its mission. For some, it's meted out as a short period of time. For some, it's long. It's not not something that we can decide that that one is a punishment and that this one is a reward, that that one is, um, is fulf has fulfilled its mission quicker because it was more agile and more adept and better or vice versa. Um, these are the things that are all in God's hands. I, I think that's a great comfort, actually. And, and when we come back, I'd like to talk about survivor guilt. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. My guest today is Rabbi Michael Katz, and our time is going very quickly, and our topic is life seasons. And I actually, just before the break, I said we were going to go back to survivor guilt because we've just been talking about the different ages of someone dying and, and the feelings that we are left and, and how no death can ever be seen as a punishment or is too short or too long 
because um, it's it's what Hashem decreed. And there's great comfort in having religion, isn't there? And and believing in an afterlife. Absolutely, the um, the the comfort and the um, the sense of purpose and understanding that um, Torah Judaism uh, brings to us is immeasurable. And I'm not 100% sure how people get by without it. I also, quite honestly, I don't know either. And I think it's one of the things that actually allows me to do the work that I have done my whole life, you know, uh, with with people who are ill or and are dying in various ways and various times. Um, now, survivor guilt. I lost my brother a few uh, a few years ago. And so I became the only sibling left. And my mom went straight into dementia that same day that my brother passed away. So I lost them both in the same day. And I felt this unbelievable guilt at actually, first of all, being healthy. My brother had been ill since we were very young. As a young child, I was told he wouldn't live to be 12, and he was a few years older than me. So I was brought up with this this knowledge of death, that death was imminent. And it so happened that he lived to be a lot older than 12. But that survivor guilt and the survivor of a sibling also is often incredibly difficult to live with as a healthy sibling. And then as a as a parent, and I've worked with a lot with, with parents who have lost children, that feeling of why should their lives have come to an end and my life goes on. What have I done to to deserve going on when I don't want to go on anyway? And and that's part of the survivor guilt. And also as a spouse, many people have said to me, watching their grandchildren grow up or be born or whatever, and their spouse has not lived to see that. It's that feeling of can we really celebrate when some you know, when when they're not here to celebrate with us. How can my life continue yes. when uh, when theirs isn't? And how well I think that here again we need to go back to the idea of serving God with joy. And perhaps just to plant the seed of when somebody is not with us, we maybe have a double obligation. The obligation to celebrate and to be involved in simchas and a positive outlook, not only for ourselves now, but for them as well. And instead of it being a burden of guilt, how about it being a burden of responsibility to them and to their memories and to their um, spiritual well-being now even after life or after what we call life here on earth, let's uh, rephrase. Um, the idea of um, survivor guilt, I guess, cannot have it can never when you say the word survivor um it conjures up immediately mm. the holocaust it does and um the guilt that um survivors carried with them and must have carried with them and i'm sure that there are uh, much more uh, credible uh, sources than me to, to 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 look into that psychology and uh, what that was what that really did to people and it's therefore you can't flippantly say don't feel guilty. Um, it's obviously part of the human condition. People feel guilty. We we're, we we have that guilt feeling that um, is going to be there naturally. But maybe in our mind's eye, we need to rather turn it into something a little more. We, we've always got to adopt the positive line and the so positive. Reframe it. The, to reframe it, the positive line is that um, God. And his infinite wisdom has decided that I should live. Now, there must be a reason why he gave me this extra time. There must be a reason why maybe that's how we've got to actually put it together. That could have been me, and it wasn't me. But now God gave me an, this extra time. There obviously has to be a purpose, a reason. I need now a double dose of finding out what that reason is. We all are uh, pushed to think about and need to understand or know that we've got a purpose and that we've got a reason and we've got a, a meaning in our lives. And a responsibility, and, and a responsibility. to go on. And now mm. a double responsibility because mm. now my, my responsibility is not just for me. My responsibility is for them as well. What we will probably never um, really come to an, uh, an answer with is why that happened. Um, and even if people 
um, do often work out in their minds, you know, we can see if we follow the trails and we say, okay, this happened and then that happened or whatever, that wouldn't have happened had that not happened. And therefore I've worked out, oh, now I know why that person um, uh, died, why this happened in that way or whatever. We're playing God actually there because we really, don't we really know. don't know. We mm. don't know. And God's uh, method and mission and, um, and, and, and the meaning behind it may be so, so far away from anything that we could ever fathom. Much more important is for us to get back to what we can do, what we need to do, our responsibility. And here, somebody is not here, I have an added responsibility. If you think about it, isn't this why we, or one of the reasons why Kaddish is said, for instance, for someone who is lost? What we're saying is really... Kaddish, just explain what Kaddish is, okay. if you don't Kaddish mind. Kaddish, well, it's often known as the memorial prayer, and yes, it's been popularized, um, and people always uh, think about it as uh, symbolic of death, that prayer, Yit Gadal, Yit Kaddash, Rabbah, and so on. Mm. Really what it is, is just absolute praises of God. There's nothing there about death and dying. There's nothing about mourning whatsoever. But it is an affirmation of the fact that I believe. Really, I believe. I believe in the power of God. I believe that God is the same God here and in the next world. That's part of Kaddish. And it brings people into the community to say it. It needs to be said in a community setting. It can't be said alone. And therefore, we're accomplishing a couple of things. Number one is we're telling people, you have experienced the loss. Come into the community. The warmth, the embrace of the community is very, very important. People around you, absolutely paramount. But at the same time, remember that God is the same God as he was yesterday. He'll be today and he is tomorrow. And the same um, comfort that he provided or you wanted him to provide for the soul in this world, he provides in the next. And the same thing, you are making a statement of, I'm going to go on. Life is going to continue. I'm going to continue praising God. But now I've got an even bigger obligation. I'm praising God even more than I did before. Because it's not just for me. It's for him or her, the person that I'm mourning as well. There's this idea of that added responsibility. So going back with that, that um, each each Yotzat, each memorial uh, year, each day, um, memorial day, I know that for Chabad, and you're, you're part of Chabad, I know that um, they have a Fabrengen, which is a celebration of life, isn't it? Um, so is that what it is, a Fabrengen? Well, a let's, let's pa- pa- rephrase. A Fabrengen really means a get-together, okay. a gathering, where we gather together and we share thoughts. And we um, about the deceased, or well, it could be about the deceased or things that they've they, that they've spoken about. But it's also to get together in a way of what we call chizuk of um, of strengthening each other. Um, you get together to to talk. To it's not necessarily um, a to, memorial. So it's to not share ideas. To share ideas and in a positive environment. And it's not. Um, it's not the only way, by the way, that we commemorate the Yorzite. Mm, there mm. is also the Kaddish and so on. But it is coupled with this idea that let's get together and let's uh, provide some soul food and some soul, um, some spirituality around this occasion that is not just the day of mourning is not just about uh, gloom and doom and sadness and negativity and darkness. The day of, of the day of mourning or the day of the yard site, the anniversary of the passing of an individual is a day of what Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai taught us that we referred to before. It's a day up, of upliftment of the soul and to try and remember that, yes, I'm feeling terrible today because it is the yard site. I'm feeling sad because this is the anniversary of the loss of my dearly beloved uh, parent, uh, sibling, child, spouse, whoever. That moment is, is, is awful, but I'm going to move forward and I'm going to be uplifted and I'm, I'm going to bring friends and family around and we're going to do this together. So it's a support as yes, well. Yes, yes. Mm. It's not, it's not, well, let's get together and have a, a good cry, but rather let's get together and think some positive things and energize each other to say, you know what? We're going to do something in this person's honor and we're going to, uh, Give charity, or we're going to say a special prayer now, or we or, or uh, let's sing think, a song. Yeah, so let's mm. think about you know what Dad stood for that was so positive. Why don't we do something about that? 
It's that kind of energy. Mm-hmm. Fabrengans are supposed to also have what we call hachlotas. Hachlota means a resolution. I won't then, try that word. Hachlata. <laughs> There's got to be a resolution. It can't just be that we get together and we walk out of there and we're the same when we walk out. Um, and you kind of say, well, okay, so I spent a comfortable hour and a half. But where did it go? It's got to go somewhere. Um, and there need to be resolutions. So you come away with something. Come away with something. And, and you know what? I'm going to. Even if it's just, I'm going to be a better person because of this yard site, or I'm going to think about, oh, they spoke about that, that individual's kindness. I'm going to just be a little kinder. Or they mentioned that, um, he always greeted everybody so, so beautifully and wonderfully or whatever. I'm going to try and do that. Well, there we've got some resolutions. That's lovely. What about Shiva then? Shiva is a, a um, the seven days after someone has died, and it's a time of uh, 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 sitting. Shiva is the seven days of mourning. Now, as a convert, it's something that I have found to be the most beautiful gift of Judaism, one of the most beautiful gifts of Judaism, because without it, you have no boundaries of of what to do or how to behave. Absolutely. It is fantastic. If we think about the Jewish way in death and mourning, it gives us a a framework, as you you correctly said, it gives you the framework within which to operate. Um, Because I think that I'm right in saying that the most common thing that is said in a house of mourning or in at a time of a lot is people say, I don't know what to say. Mm. Well, Judaism says, well, well, we'll tell you what to say. And at first it's nothing. Don't say anything. So you sit quietly. Yeah, you go because, in and sit the, quietly. The, fir- the, the, the first thing that you have the inclination to say may not be what the mourner wants to hear or it may be inappropriate or you think you're doing them a favor, but actually you're not. And the idea of that um, respect of the mourner's Space and the mourner's privacy and the mourner's ability to mourn in the way that they want to is paramount to the way of mourning. Now that's all prescribed. And then it's, we mourn Shiva. Shiva means seven. It's till the seventh day. It's not actually seven full days. It's till the seventh day because you count the part of the day or the day of the funeral as one day. And then they get up in the morning of the seventh day mm. from then. So it's usually, and of course, Unless a Yom Tov interferes and so on. But there's, that's called Shiva. During that period of time, the family have the, have the obligation or the immediate mourners have the obligation to sit at home, to not go out, to not engage in any, in any business, um, not be involved in their regular activities and to be there. And really it's a bonding time for the family, but also a bonding time for the departed with the family that we're there's this idea of coming to terms with it. And then at the end of it, there's an obligation to get out of there. You can't sit Shiva for longer mm-hmm. than uh, till the seventh day. You're not allowed to. Now, funny enough, there's a Buddhist saying that you weep with one eye. And it's a beautiful saying because it says that you're not allowed to go on weeping forever. You, In other words, you have to dry your tears and get on with your life. So it's Correct. Now, that, okay, but then there, there are some who would say, you know, that, like, you're not going to tell me to do that. I... I, I, I I, I'm going to cry forever, and I'm going to be a, uh, God forbid, I'm going to be a widow forever, and I'm going to be a, a, an orphan forever, and so on. Um, Judaism gives you those parameters. It cannot tell you when to cry and when not to cry. That we understand mm. is up to the mourner, but it tells you, here's some parameters. For this week, sit at home, be together, be a family, recollect, um, speak to people, get the comfort that others bring to you, but stay home. Don't go out there. You're not a normal person. You're not in a normal frame of mind. Stay there. Then you move into a lesser, less intense period of mourning. We call that shloshim usually, which is 30 days, a little bit lighter. Then there is the actual period of mourning, which goes on actually for 12 months, during which time we say, you know, don't go to weddings. Don't be in, pu- in public places with public entertainment. There are some who take it further and say, well, you shouldn't be in any sort of public celebratory environment, even a, like a Friday night dinner at people's homes and so on. Why? Because, A, you are in a state of mourning, and B, probably more importantly, you've got a responsibility to society. And by walking into those places, you may bring down the level of joy. Hmm. They, you walk in there and they look at you and they say, oh, imagine what, what he or she feeling. is going through. Mm. 
and right away you diminish their joy. Wow. We're not always allowed to do that. So we've got, we've got to remember that um, Judaism sees the individual as an individual, but we've got obligations to society as well and to our communities. There's a communal obligation, and it's not just in uh, the fact that we've got to Sponsor the Kiddush, or we've got to got to pay for our seats on Yom Tov. But we've <laughs> there's a communal responsibility to make sure that the community's um, level of simcha is protected, and that you, as the mourner, don't bring it down. So the the level of happiness yes. at, uh, uh, is is paramount there. Correct. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson with Rabbi Michael Katz. And we're actually just discussing what to end with because we've only got five minutes and the time has gone forwards <laughs> very quickly. Rabbi, just tell me, is it a Jewish belief in afterlife? Because many people say they're not sure if it is. Well, First of all, yes, we definitely believe that the soul continues. But perhaps the interpretation of what the afterlife is differs in Judaism from others. Others. Mm -hmm. Um, We do not believe that, um, you know, you are damned to hell and uh, or you get the Shangri-La of heaven um, kind of the moment you arrive there. We do believe that there is a trial. We believe that there is a Let's call it a trial. There is a period of time after passing. And by the way, it couples with the idea of saying Kaddish uh, for 11 months. The memorial prayer that is said for 11 months um, is um, because we believe that the longest trial, let's call it, that a soul would go through um, in its advent to the next world is 12 months. And 12 months is for a Rosha, for a wicked person. And so we stop at a day short Oh, a, a, a day a short month. of completing 11 months. Wow. So we're not deeming that we believe that they were wicked. Oh, well, We've got to remember we send, we send a message upstairs as well. <laughs> so the, um, the, the idea of the afterlife. No, it's not this place of doom and gloom where you have uh, people running around with long tails, uh, whipping people and so on if they're doomed to, uh, to hell. Uh, because of their bad actions or they go to heaven immediately and everything is wonderful and a Shangri-La and like in other religions where they talk about uh, all the th- all the wonderful things that are waiting for you there and so on. Really the soul was there before. The soul was in heaven. The soul was sent down here. It came into, in, into this world. It's going back now to its familiar space and place. But where is heaven? What is heaven? Heaven is everywhere. If we think about it, so we talk about the souls being with us at the time of a simcha. What is what does that mean? And if the simcha is being celebrated, if you're traveling to America, can the soul be with you at the same time as it is in South Africa? Really what we're talking about is the soul becomes now something spiritual that is separated from the physical encasement or um, bond or bondage in a way that it had here on earth where it wasn't free to be everywhere. And in a way... At the time that a soul leaves this uh, physical world, at the time that there is the separation, what we call death, the soul can be in many places at once because it's got this absolute godly power. That's comforting. So it can be with the kids in America as much as it can in Australia, as much as it can be here at the same time because it's a soul. It's got that godly power. So how can we help elevate the soul then? Do we have the responsibility or the the power to do so? Absolutely, yes. And the biggest and best way is that um, I think that people should be able to look at what we do and say, for instance, if it's the loss of a parent where they can look at you and they can say, I can see you were well brought up. You had a good mother. Now think about that. Why do you get that or how do you get that? It's by behaving correctly. Mm. When we do good things here, strangely enough, we don't only bring credit to ourselves, which we like to do, I guess, but we bring credit to those who influenced us. So the generations before us. Yes. We talk about in Jewish law talks about kibbud avaim, respect for parents. How do you respect your parents when they are no longer with you, when they're no longer alive? In your behavior. In your behavior. Because people will say, that's a well-brought-up child. That person was taught well by her or his mother or father or both, and therefore you're bringing credit to them. 
honor is brought to your parents by the fact that you greeted somebody, by the fact that you did somebody a good turn, that you did somebody a favor, that you helped somebody in a, in a time of crisis, whatever the situation is, that brings honor and respect to your parents. It brings honor and respect to those that you're, that you're mm-hmm. thinking about. There are direct things, which is saying Kaddish at the time of, uh, of the Yorzeit, honoring them in a way whereby we um, give donations in their in the name. All of these things are good Jewish tradition. You, one of the highest, by the way, is giving Jewish Torah books to a shul or a community, and that everybody who opens it up and sees there that it's in honor of this and this individual. Each bit of Torah learning, a little bit of the credit, a little bit of the merit, goes to the to to that neshama, to that soul. So there are so many ways. But bottom line, you honor the soul by being a mensch. That's beautiful. And just tell me that book that you've got there because um, I know it, but I just want you to well, just call it out. It's kind of the um, the, uh, the let's call it the the handbook uh, that uh, that people use when it comes to um, death and mourning. It's called the Jewish Way in Death and Mourning by Morris Lamb. Um, while, as you see, I didn't open it once here in the in the <laughs> in session the in the hour, but it's a concise um, and well put together very well um, put together book of all the things that we need to know from a practical point of view you know there are a lot of books out on death and mourning that are very either very spiritual or they bring a lot of different sources and a lot of different ideas but you're still sometimes left with well okay so what, what do i actually I do? do what's mm-hmm. practical mm-hmm. This, this is a very very practical comforting and uh, well put together book I must admit that um, we have a few of those in our house, which we, we do hand out, which are beautiful. Now, we're going to have to end, um, Rabbi, but thank you so much for being here. And I think I would like to just end by saying we are all very multifaceted. Sometimes we're optimistic. Sometimes we're pessimistic. And that's it's something that we can all work on to to be the best person that we can become. And we can be. And in that, we honor ourselves and we honor the people who have gone before us. Well, it's been an honor to be with you. And thank you for uh, thank you for inviting me again. And hopefully it won't be another two or three years. (laughs) Definitely uh, not. Uh, You know what? We didn't even cover what was asked last time to in 2016, the questions that came in. So I would love you to come back soon. I'm happy to do so. Thank you so much. And thank you, Tabo, for actually keeping us on air.